Hey, post-production Pavel here, just to let you know that this is part two of our discussion. So before we get into it, uh, you may want to go back to the last episode to hear part one, where we kind of go through like an overview of the history of a superhero film. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead, it's available. If you want to continue or start here, then uh, yeah, cool. That's a good choice. So... At this moment, we are just getting into talking about the Dark Knight and Man of Steel specifically and how they relate to the gritty aesthetic that has been uh, seen in film. So anyways, without any more further ado, let's get into it. So now we have like a new interpretation of Batman now, right? Big time. So more grounded. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the Tim Burton films were darker as we'd say but then like well more yeah gothic yeah gothic dark yeah ish right uh and then we get to like the later films by joel schumacher more colorful definitely right which harkens back to like classic comics yeah like back in the 30s and 40s 60s more yeah right very colorful because like are like dick tracy another big comic book oh yeah definitely which if you look at that that has a lot of like classic color tones in terms of like primary colors right blue red yellow that was a very right i think you know before we talk about sin city as being one of those movies that's like one of them that's like a neo-noir well no no no, but i mean you know the film where it's just like oh my god that's like a perfect adaptation of comic to screen you're like yo dick tracy got there decades earlier yeah I think, yeah. No, no, you're right. We we tend to forget how old things actually are. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Right? No. <laughs> Whoops. Like these things existed before. Like all these things that we're experiencing now, they've been done before. Like yeah. nothing is really ever new. That's a topic for another day, though. Yeah. Um, so we finally we get to these Chris, Christopher Nolan Christopher Nolan films, and then we get to the Dark Knight because obviously, yeah, like I said, Batman Begins grounded more in like reality. But at the same quote. time, you know, Batman Begins has ninjas. It does. It, the main it, plot is trying to evaporate all the water yeah, in like Gotham. Using, using microwaves. You know, and you're just like, <laughs> On the train, right? Yeah. And no, you're, like, you're just like, no, these are focused microwaves. You're like, dude, the human body is like 60% water. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, how is this not affecting us? But like, so I understand like in terms of the plot elements, right? Obviously still a bit fantastical, still a bit silly. Because yeah. like when you think about that. At the end of the day, still a man in a rubber suit trying to beat people up. Still, no, trying to. It's a man in a suit trying to fight ninjas. That's you know, you're like, <laughs> you're like, that's pretty like, silly. You know, and one of those ninjas is Liam Neeson. Like, yeah. this is great. It's great, but the thing is, it's like it's, it's the aesthetic of the film that's presented by the film, right? It, it done in a different way. So gone are like the bright colors. Gone are like muted color palettes. Exactly, shot on 35 millimeter film. Yeah. and it and it. I mean, not to say like the original. Uh, the Tim Burton Batmans and the Joel Schumacher Batmans, those were shooting on 35 millimeter, millimeter as well. Mm. But for modern audiences who are so used to the sort of f- films being shot on digital yeah. that you forget how much of a film's aesthetic just is intrinsically changed by the medium in which the it film is stock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unreal. For sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, so we have this new presentation, right, of Batman now. So it's like, yeah, muted colors... So we're gone from the colorfulness. We're gone from like the wackiness, mm-hmm. like in the aesthetic. Like yeah. it's there in the plot, obviously, yeah. but not in the like in the aesthetic, right? So Gotham is shown as like it's like a New city. York, yeah, New like, York, and you know, yeah, yeah. They shot all over the place, but yeah, yeah. it feels like but, an, I mean, how a modern looks. American yeah. city. Yeah. So like that's different from especially it's, for a Batman series where before where Gotham was like a fantastical, super place, stylized, yeah. right? Yeah, very stylized. It's stylized yeah. too, but in a more quote unquote realistic way. Yeah. Right. Still stylized, but 
presented in a different manner. And yeah. then we get to The Dark Knight, which was at the end of Batman Begins, mm-hmm. we find like the Joker's calling card, right? So we knew where we were being led to. And that was a, fa- the by the way, film. that was a really, fa- I, in terms of, you know, a post-credit sequence that wasn't a post-credit sequence, that was, uh, I think, such a such an efficient way of introducing the fundamental crux mm-hmm. of the sort of like the Batman mythos outside of the really legendary iconic stuff like his origin story and mm-hmm. whatnot. But this idea of, you know, the fact that we have a movie about Batman where Commissioner Jim Gordon says, you know, what about escalation? Yeah. You know, where it's just like, yeah, like, you know, if cops wear bulletproof vests, then criminals get armor piercing rounds. Mm-hmm. You walk around in a Batman suit and fight crime at night. What is that? What comes next? What is that trigger? Yeah. You know, and then that's a perfect setup for the Joker. That is good. Yeah. You no, know, exactly. When you, when you think about it, when you're going like how the how efficient and effective that was in sort of communicating this really important idea in the mytho that's you know that had already showed up in the comics mm-hmm. right this idea of escalation and how the culpability that bruce wayne has to you know has to take has ha- has to get get on board with has to understand has to take responsibility for of his own role that he plays in mm-hmm. you know this escalation yeah of creating all of these all of this this imbalance you know of creating all of these arkham characters yeah because i think in the lead up to the dark knight coming out i had read a couple of batman comics like that were collected editions or whatever so part of it was batman year one yeah right and then the long halloween yeah which kind of like these two movies like touch on the killing joke the killing joke which i did not like you didn't like the killing joke? I did joke? not like the killing joke. Wow. Okay. That was another thing I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, true. The killing joke, and for those of you who don't know, it's I hear so much about the killing joke. It was a comic written by uh, Alan, Moore, Alan Moore. Who also wrote uh, Watchmen. Yeah. And a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Who seem anytime I read about Alan Moore, he, he seems to hate his uh <laughs> his his work. He does not like the killing joke. Okay. Mainly because I think people have like bastardized it and turned it into like something more than it is. Yeah. Like the, he seems like surly and sour just in general. I know he hates all his adaptations of his work. Yeah, he fucking hates them. Did, yeah. he, was, did he do Swamp Thing too? Yes. Well, no. So he didn't create Swamp Thing. No, no. He, but did he? He yeah, wrote for he, it though. He, he wrote uh, probably the most important run for Swamp Thing that was published by Vertigo. Yeah, which is exactly. A different DC imprint. Yeah, exactly. And that's where he did uh, Watchmen too. Right? Yeah. On Vertigo it was supposed yeah. to go out of print. Never went out of print. Yeah. Because guess why? It made money. Tons of money. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to go out of print, and the rights were supposed to revert back to him after yeah. that. Then DC said, oh, Watchmen, that sells a lot of yeah. comic books. Yeah. And they're like, guess what? We're never going to put it out of print. No. <laughs> so he, like, Dis- I can understand why he's bitter. Yeah, and distanced himself from DC yeah. Comics. Yeah. So I did read The Killing... And this is another aside. That's okay. Another tangent about The Killing Joke. Yeah. I did read The Killing Joke, like, a couple of years ago, because I... Anytime like I read about Batman, I always hear the killing joke, the killing joke, especially about the Joker. Killing joke, I've been I've read more like I guess modern feminist things about it, about how Barbara Gordon is treated in that. Yeah. What the killing joke is? Oh, we'll yeah. get into it. We'll get into it. Don't worry. But and no, it's good to because not everyone obviously has read the killing joke. Nope. But yes, yeah, so we'll get into it like in a second, but I had read interpretations of like how f- general trend in comics, how female characters are, are treated. Yeah. Uh, storytelling in general, how female characters are treated because normally they're an accessory to motivate the main character. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what happens when you don't have enough 
female writers and female artists. Well, yeah, put in like every stage of the process, yeah. right? You do the you just have a character on the page or That's the screen right. or whatever it is and yeah. then no other consideration is really given to that uh character. But basically the Killing Joke is like a very simple comic. Yep. Like deceptively simple. I thought it was maybe because it was so built up from what I had read about it. Right. So much. Because it's seen as like a pivotal thing like for the Joker especially. P- people who like the Joker yeah, no, tend I mean, to go it, back to the Killing Joke. Absolutely. Because well, it, it's a bit of an origin story for yeah, the Joker. Yeah, but without being an origin. That's the thing. Like one of the interesting... the one of I find one of the most brilliant parts of that comic is the introduction of this idea that the Joker's origin story is it's like a multiple choice. Yeah. That, you know, he, which is again, that's, that shows up in the dark Knight as well, where he explains the story of, you know, you want to know how I got these scars, yeah. you know? And like, which was, by the way, if you, uh, I don't want to go into another tangent, but that <laughs> voice, okay. that iconic voice yes. for the Joker, that's always, you know, mimicked. yeah, you know where I'm going. Yeah. It's always mimicked is if you go back, it's on YouTube, you can watch an old interview with a young Tom Waits on television. That's how he talks. And, and it's exactly yeah. how he talks. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. Uh, and so Heath Ledger was obviously inspired or, yeah, you know, based his voice you on know, that imitated Tom Waits, which is interesting. But anywho, it was this idea that, you know, this Joker became such uh, an important, iconic figure in the Batman mythology mm-hmm. and the arch nemesis of, of Batman. And Batman has such a clear cut and sort of essential mm-hmm. um, origin story. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of explains everything. Uh, and it was, well, what about the Joker? What about his arch nemesis? What about, you know, the sort of the, the dark side of that coin? You know, mm-hmm. what's his deal? And this idea that the Joker's origin story is, um, for him, is just, it's like a suit. It's a matter of fiction. It's something that he can just come up with mm-hmm. whenever he wants. It's such an elegant way of solving that question that and at the same time informs that character Mm -hmm. you know it's like a punchline to a joke you know it just it just changes yeah and it's and the same way that it's chaotic and it's 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 you know in the same way that the character is it's like trying to it's like trying to you know keep water from being wet it's like trying to grab water that's Mm -hmm. his everything about him is in that same way and Mm Uh, and yeah, so that's the killing joke I think was really important for the Joker in that sense. And, but also for Batman and the relationship between Batman and, and the, the Joker, Joker, the sense of yeah, how close like, they are to one another. Yeah. Cause like a central theme of the killing joke is kind of like the, the point that the Joker's trying to make in the killing joke is how like one bad day can define you. Yeah. You're right. Weak. So you could go either way. Yeah. So one bad day for Batman led him to being Batman. Yeah. The, and one bad day for the Joker led him to being the Joker. Yeah, which was which was ironically kind of stolen yeah. f- for the second season of Daredevil on Netflix. Oh, what? where the Punisher goes, you know, looks at the pun- looks at Daredevil and goes, "You're one bad day away from being me." Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that in a long yeah. time. But yeah, so that's kind of like the central theme yeah. of the film. And that's so basically the plot of the Killing Joke is that uh, the Joker manages to escape prison arkham arkham asylum he goes to barbara gordon's house and like shoots her kidnaps her potentially sexually assaults her and takes photos of it uh it's not explicit in the comic but it's heavily implied and i've read a lot of interpretations where that's where people talk about they say that yeah that's what this deals with how women characters are like treated in comics and stuff like that 
Because what the Joker's trying to do is prove to Jim Gordon, eventually he captures Jim Gordon as well, to show him that one bad day can push him over the edge too, and he can be a criminal or a supervillain or whatever you want to say, a bad person, however you want to uh, characterize that. But basically that, yeah, so an event like that can push you towards it, right? So he does that, and then eventually Batman comes and like captures the Joker, and then it kind of ends with them like laughing. Some people think that Batman kills the Joker, but I just because the ending is a bit ambiguous. It's the two of them, and they both. The Joker tells a joke to Batman, and they both laugh. And it kind of like the last couple of panels are like, it's like if it was a film, the camera would be like panning away, basically. And they kind of laugh, and then they stop laughing at some point. So some people tend to see it as Batman killed the Joker there. But I don't see it, though. I just think they stop because you have to stop laughing at some point. <laughs> and then the other part of the comic is that the Joker goes into his backstory. So he tells a story, but it's done in a way where he says, sometimes I sit, tell it this way, sometimes I tell it that way. So it's kind of still ambiguous, even though we're getting a version of his backstory. So people have taken it to mean that like this may not actually be his backstory. At the end of the day, to me, it doesn't really matter what his backstory is because it's not the point of the Joker. It's not his backstory. But anyways, um, so in it, you see he was like... Uh, was he a comedian or a clown or whatever? Because someone who was like down on his luck, he was had a girlfriend or a wife, and he was like trying to impress her, and so he gets mixed up with like this mafia gang type thing. They want him to steal something from like this uh, lab or whatever, and he goes in, and the Batman shows up. He gets knocked into this like vat of chemicals, and it kind of like changes his skin and hair, and he kind of like breaks. Like mentally comes like the Joker, you know. And yeah, so I read that and I was like, Meh, that's okay. Like, it's fine. Like in terms of the Joker explaining his origin story. Cause like the like I said, the theme of it is basically that um uh, anyone could go either way pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what he's trying to, like I said, he was trying to prove to Jim Gordon is that oh, I've done this horrible thing to your daughter. I've kidnapped you. Look at all these pictures of your daughter, like abused and, you know, and I'm going to push you to become me basically, right? But like, so I read it and I was like, okay, like, I don't know. It seems simple. I read, like I said, what Alan Moore had to say about it. He doesn't, he seemed to think what he wrote was trash. I don't know if he, obviously I can't know because I'm not Alan Moore, but I don't know if he's just saying that because he just hates all the hype that has been building around it or if he actually does look at it and be like, yeah, that was like a dumb story. Like, I don't actually like it. Like, I don't know. Right? But anyway, so that brings us to like the Dark Knight and that and that's where like the Joker, uh, that's like a big influence yeah. on the Joker and the Dark Knight. Yeah. He has those elements that are present in the killing joke in terms Definitely. of like his origin story and he presents himself as uh, chaos to Batman's order. Yeah. Right? And what you had mentioned before about how does Batman affect the the world of Gotham, right? Yeah. His presence. And so we're seeing like the next level of like how criminals are like mm -hmm. in terms of like supervillains. Yeah. Stuff like that. But like... But very human supervillains. Very human supervillains. Yeah. yeah. So it's like not grounded in like taking over the world. It's not that fantastical... No element that you would see like in other thing like later Marvel films, yeah, where like 
the main goal is to like stop the person from destroying everything kind yeah. of thing, right? Not that there's anything wrong with those stories are good too. Yeah. But like it's just it's a formula it's a and 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 the Joker is a, was a really a huge refreshing mm-hmm. you know twist to that formula. Yeah, so the take from from the Dark Knight cuz I remember watching that in theaters. I remember like that movie's long. It's like It is. Yeah, two, it's 2 hours and a half. Yeah, two and a half hours. Yeah. I remember watching it in the theater I did not feel like I was in the theater for two and a half hours. By the end of no. the film, I was literally on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Like, I was about to fall out of my seat at the theater. It was very good. It has spawned a lot of things, like, in terms of influencing f- films to come out since The Dark Knight oh, yeah. Returns has come yeah. out. Uh, one of the things is, again, this idea of the gritty reboot of mm-hmm. old properties or just the gritty aesthetic, realistic Yes. Real world. Yeah, grounding these characters in re- in a reality. Exactly, yeah. and, and taking away like a little bit from the like fantastical, especially in terms of the aesthetic of how the film is like presented, but yeah. also plot elements as well. Yeah. Like we had mentioned, like it's not about like this gigantic death ray that's gonna no. kill everyone, right? It's not that. It's much more grounded. It's localized to like just pretty much the city of Gotham. Yep. Not the Dark Knight, but yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the Dark Knight has this weird interlude where he goes to China. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean... But otherwise, for the no, main, it's the story for the of most Gotham. Part, it's, You're right. It's centered in Gotham. Same with Batman Begins. It was centered in Gotham. Even though he's in Tibet for the first... Yeah, that's him training. Yeah. But I mean, like the actual like plot of... Yeah, like, yeah. No, um, I agree. I totally agree. The League of Shadows, that's yep. their name? Right. Yep. Right. So it's like centered on that. And especially in the Batman Begins, we have like the mob bosses... Mm-hmm. Right, Falcone. Is that Falcone, his name? yeah, no. Carmine Falcone. Yeah, so we have that, and then we have kind of a continuation of the Dark Knight with like the crime bosses in Gotham and yep. stuff like that, being like, okay, how do we adjust to Batman? And that's yep. where the Joker comes up and say, hey, I got yeah an idea for you. We have Harvey Dent. Yeah, right. We have the quote, uh, "You either die the hero, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. live long enough to become the villain." That's right. Yeah, which it, to me that's like a really like thematically quote. Like mm-hmm. that's something that holds up mm-hmm. from that film that yep. carries has a lot of implications so yep. like every other like piece of media mm-hmm. that idea that, we, that we've seen most recently in game of thrones yes you know if you haven't watched that we're not really going to talk about that today but <laughs> no you know it goes it goes into that right and yeah. a whole bunch of other properties so there's a lot of stuff there there's maggie gyllenhaal's character yeah Rachel uh, Dawes. Rachel Dawes, who was uh played by uh what's her name uh, katie holmes yeah katie Batman holmes in the, in the first one yeah you know we have the, you know, Batman goes to save them. Yeah. But the, you know, Joker gave him like the wrong That's right. info. Sorry. He shows up for Harvey Dent. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, so there's a lot, a lot of stuff in there in, in the, in the Dark Knight. Yeah. That uh, very influential in terms of its aesthetic, how it presented well, superhero movies, how people reacted to superhero movies, the critical acclaim. The it had received nomination. Uh, Heath Ledger's performance. Yeah. Uh, which and, was excellent. And most important of all, it made money. Yes, of course. Because so this could be a really good film. Yeah. All these things that we've said, but if it did not make money, we wouldn't We wouldn't be talking about, about it today. Because yeah. it, people would say, it didn't make money. So That's right. So this, that's why it beca- but that's why it becomes a trend. Yeah. Because there's enough people going like, oh, people want to buy this? Okay, yeah. yeah, then let's make more of that. Yeah. So then we see this uh, for other properties, whether they're a remake or a new property, but this grounded, mainly for remakes, where like it was something that was like maybe more goofy or colorful from like the eighties, early nineties, or even earlier sixties, doesn't matter. Yeah. And then we're gonna we're gonna make a f- new film or um, a new TV series 
But now it's got to be in that aesthetic of the Dark Knight. So the mind, the mindset is there's a market out there for people who want to get into those kinds of like gritty reimaginings of hyper realistic of these of yeah. these of these either known intellectual properties that are either already adaptations themselves mm-hmm. or whatnot. And so let's let's give them what they want. Yeah. So an, an example of that is uh, in terms of film is uh, Superman, Man, Man of, Steel, of Steel. Yeah. Right. So Superman pretty much once we have the original four films starring Christopher Reeve yeah. kind of goes dormant. Right. Because yes. like Superman four is terrible. Don't 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 watch Superman. No, 4. It's, not, it's not worth watching. Yeah. Don't do it. Please don't. I mean, do it if you hate yourself, but yeah. don't don't do it. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. But then we had in 2006 Superman Returns. Yeah, which was directed by Brian Singer. Brian which Singer, is the guy who directed the first two X Men movies. X Men and, and the well Usual the, Suspects, the later ones. Yeah, and Dark uh, Apt Pupil. Apt Pupil. I have not seen that film, but yeah. I've heard good things about it. Yeah. But yeah, so we have that where they try to bring back Superman. Because now we have superhero movies, because it's 2006, right? Yep. So now we have, like we had mentioned before, X-Men and Spider-Man, Blade. Uh, Bat- this is around the time. Hulk. We had Hulk. Oh, yeah. Hulk. Ang Lee. Ang Lee's Hulk. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting film yeah. for another day, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we have Batman Begins that had just come out. So now DC Warner Brothers is like, hey, uh, what else do we have? We can we can do Superman. Because Superman's a big, iconic character. Yeah. Like. He's huge, and he's he's again he's worth money. Yeah, of course he's worth money. That's not, what not as much huge. as Batman. No. Batman is worth way more money than Superman. Yeah, you go to any comic book shop or any bookstore that carries graphic novels or comic books, you will find a single shelf with Superman books and an entire row, like an entire like shelf stack unit or whatever. Yeah, for Batman books. Batman, of course. No, Batman sells a lot, but Superman yeah. is still big, especially uh, in the huge. film film world. Huge. Superman was the kind of like the one that like the original like mm-hmm. this is what like started it pretty much. Um, in terms of a successful feature film, so then we have Superman Returns that doesn't do too well. Didn't make money, right? Nope. I didn't see it. I haven't seen it. I just oh, remember really? the trailer with the bullet going into yeah, the eye. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, kind of thing. It starts Brandon Routh. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Who the only other thing I saw him was was that Kevin Smith film. Was it Zack and Mary make a porno? Was he in that? Yes, he was in that. Yeah, yeah a tiny part in that. Yeah. He was also in um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, yeah. He's one of the he boyfriends. Was, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The vegan, yeah. The vegan powered boyfriend. <laughs> you ate chicken and you're like, yeah. oh, the no, no, no. Vegan. <laughs> no, it wasn't chicken. It was gelato. Was it gelato? Yeah, it's just like, oh. what? Gelato's v- vegan. And then Tom Jane goes, it's milk and eggs, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay he's in that too yeah scott yeah. pilgrim oh yeah edgar wright great great okay he's in for another day but yeah, yeah the good good film i would go check that out yeah. um but yeah it doesn't do well no nope. that's kevin spacey's lex luther Ke- in that, right? kevin spacey's lex luther yeah Ooh, man, also... we got quite some terrible people in that oh involved yeah. in that production well, even there. brian singer yeah that's what i'm saying yeah. like you have kevin smith brian singer uh, kevin smith Kevin Spacey. Spacey. Yeah, Brian Singer. Kevin Smith is good as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah, I said, listen okay. listen to Kevin Smith's stories, though, about Prince, just to remind you. Oh, about go, Prince? About Superman uh, go, go listen Superman to that. Lives? Yeah. Go. He actually wrote a script yeah. for a failed Superman movie that was going to be directed Nick by Tim Cage. Burton with Nick Cage. Oh, That's my worth God. listening to. Go listen. Yeah, yeah. Find that stuff like on YouTube. Like yeah. It's great. He, it's cool. He's a good storyteller. Um, yeah, so we have that idea of like Superman, but that didn't really take off. Because no. it take pl- took place after the first two Superman films exactly, from the 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. So that didn't really go anywhere. Like I said, I didn't see it. Okay. No, I saw it. It yeah. was one of those movies that was like adequate. Yeah. You know, is how I would describe it. 
Um, but it, it it sort of didn't know what it was because it wasn't a gritty reboot or it had it had very little grit to it because it was it had a lot because it continues from the seventies. Yeah, and it had some campy elements. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't so campy and f- sort of joyous yeah. as you see in the first two Superman movies. Where yeah. There's a lot of joy yeah. in those movies. There's a lot of imagination. There's a lot of wonder, mm-hmm. you know, and Superman Returns didn't really have um, that wonder. Yeah. Really. So. And then you also have Christopher Reeve's performance. Christopher Reeve's performance, which is again, like I think a lot of people give Especially him credit. As Clark Kent. Oh, his like you can watch, <laughs> you can watch. There are cuts online on YouTube now, yeah. so you don't have to have to go through the whole movies. But you can see just in terms of the transitions that he was making between Clark Kent and Superman, and those were wonderful. Yeah, those were like you. He, he almost makes himself shorter, like a foot shorter. Yeah, as as Clark Kent. And then there's there's one there's one moment I can't I don't remember if it's in the first one or the second one where um, you know Lois walks away from him and he's Clark Kent and he takes his glasses off and he sort of he straightens out and he gets to his full Superman posture and all of a sudden it's like whoa he switched on this so is like, Superman yeah. and then he remembers where he is and then he stoops down again puts his glasses on and then it's like a completely different character yeah and that's that's the kind of that's the kind of beautiful wonder and and joy that those movies understood about the character of Superman, of what he represents, of the sort of how 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 to make what makes his iconography so potent mm. is this idea that not only is he so powerful that it's almost impossible to tell good stories about him with mm. conflict because to reference another film from the 90s which has nothing to do with what we're talking about called angus which is a coming of age movie that starred kathy bates and george c scott george c scott has this great line in there where he says superman isn't brave superman is indestructible yeah and that's a hundred percent true yeah and so you really have to write yourself into a corner when if you're trying to tell a a Superman story with conflict because it's so hard because he's so powerful. Yeah, he's like there's unless like that's why usually Kryptonite is involved. That's because right. You have to weaken him. You have to depower him somehow because that's right. Or or you tell a story like you like they did in Superman two, yeah. uh, or you tell a story like they did in Superman one where he literally has to break the laws of physics in order to <laughs> I save still the. Still hate that ending, but which still. is I mean people love it, people hate yeah. it, but it's iconic. It is iconic, and for it's sure. and, and I think it's iconic because you know exactly how he feels. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same reason why the Hulk, even though when you think about it, it's so derivative in the sense of it's like oh it's Jekyll and Hyde. We've seen that a thousand times, and it's a big green guy, and it seems so dumb, but. Every living person, unless you're a sociopath, knows the feeling of being so angry mm. that you feel red, that you see red, mm-hmm. that you're not, that you don't feel like the same person anymore. Yeah. That is universal. Yeah. And that's why every single little boy and girl can identify with the Hulk. Yeah. You get that. Yeah. You know? And that moment in, in the first Superman where he just, he sees the woman that he loves die. And this is like, this is an unconsummated love. You know, yeah. this is like, he, it, she doesn't know who he really is and he hasn't had the opportunity to get close to her in the way that he wants to. And he lets out this heart-rending 
you know how mm-hmm. and then literally you know flies so fast around the planet that he turns back time <laughs> to save her life yeah. and you know you're like it's so corny but it it's corny, comic book yeah it's yeah, so of course. Comic it's fantastical it's fantastical because it also presents like an existential crisis to superman because that means he didn't save the day right that's and that's right. What superman's known for saving yeah. the day so it's i mean my i guess my only issue with it I, obviously, it's like campy is like you know to, yeah. to turn the world back around. Is to me, it's it's like a Deus Ex Machina. Oh, big time! Of course, right? Because like he didn't save the day. The only way is basically like a god to come back and turn back time. That's right, right? Which is fine. That's yeah. Stories can have Deus Ex Machinas. That's that's okay. But to me, like it's just like oh, I'm just like you're uh, right. You're you know. people are right to love or hate it. No, no, you can like it. You can not like it. The but reason like, why yeah. it resonates, yeah, no, is no, because no. everybody the emotional weight is there. The emotional truth right? yeah. of that scene, yeah. everybody gets. That's the, yeah. That's what's more important in yeah. terms of like connecting with the film, yeah. more than like the fact how however they got out more of it, right? than gritty realism. Yeah, exactly. One hundred percent. You know, and that that takes us to like Man of Steel. Right. Yes. Because the Man of Steel, like, how did not make Superman likable? Yeah. Watch Man of Steel. Because I saw Man of Steel, I was like, Oof. what? I I remember I remember watching Man of Steel, being in the movie theater, and my older brother had already seen it. Yeah. And he was just like, no, let's go see it. I'm like, oh, but you've already seen it. It's okay. We don't have to go see it. It's like, no, 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 no. We'll go see it. We'll go see it. And I'm like, okay. So, which I thought was something, there's something odd about it. And mm-hmm. then we sit down, the movie starts, and instead of watching the screen, he turns around and he watches my face. <laughs> and then I'm going like, oh no, what's going to happen? Uh, and then we get to the scene, and this happens way too early on in the movie. And it's the scene where at that point, I'm just like, whoa, oh, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Where you have, um, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the uh, guy was Kevin Costner, who plays his dad. His dad. Um, there's a tornado coming, and the oh, whole the whole yes. people on the street that they're just like, oh, head to the overpass, head to the overpass. And at this point, I might add, Clark Kent is young, yes, but has the full set of his. Kryptonian. Well, as soon as he gets like the yellow sun, yeah, like he's he's indestructible. He Nothing powers, can hurt right? him. He's fine. Oh. And so they all go underneath the overpass. But the dog, a dog stays in the car. So, of course, you have to risk your life to go save the dog that's trapped in a car. Mm -hmm. You have to. Mm -hmm. So, instead of sending the indestructible person to go do this, Kevin Costner, old white guy, steps out, walks over. This is like, if you watch it, it's surreal. He jogs over to the car and you can feel, you can feel Kevin Costner phoning the shit in (laughs) where he walks over to the car opens the door the dog walks out runs to the overpass he looks at the tornado he looks at his son and then his son's like cool so i can go come save you now and then just shakes his head like nonchalantly like no i'm out i'm out yeah. i'm done with this movie yeah. i don't want to do this anymore yeah. i'm done and then just lets himself get killed by a tornado yeah. and then that happens and yeah. then i'm like what's happening right now what is this? What is this movie trying to do? What? How is this? How would it someone watch this and go? This is a great scene because it's so stupid, on one end, and then on the other, you're like, uh, there's no dramatic tension. There's no emotional weight to it. The you know when you look at how that could have been presented, how mm. that could have been done, where this sense of Superman feeling powerlessness, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that um, Spider Man experiences that that powerlessness when he makes a decision to let the criminal go yep, yep. who then kills uncle ben yeah 
you know, where if you have, you know, if you have a young Clark Kent and, you know, his dad dies of a heart attack. Yeah. You know, he just dies That's of a heart attack. That's something you can't, you can't save. And he can't, right? he can't do anything. No matter he, how strong you are, you can't. You can't do anything no. about that. And that's an important lesson. Uh. But when your idiot dad goes <laughs> out like, to save a dog and then just gives up. Just yeah, says, just like, you know okay. what? You could easily save me right now. You can't show the people your powers, though. But that's the thing. You're just like. No, they, they're not ready to, to, to know yeah. who you uh, are. Uh, and you're like, first of all, this is like podunk, like you got to purr to mouth Kansas. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who's going to believe anyone from Kansas? And it's a tornado. It could be an interest, like, it could be an interesting angle, like for the film to have taken. If people are reacting to like, what, oh, what like, did we just see there? Yeah, like, what did that you know? kid do? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but that, in, but the film doesn't want to explore that. No, 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 no. no. The story, the, the she just goes, Kevin Costner. We can only get Kevin Costner for a week, and <laughs> this is like he <laughs> doesn't want to do this do. anymore. And so that was brutal. And then um, S- Superman spends the entire movie not saving people. No, yeah, which is wonderful it, for the, a Superman the, movie. Yeah, because the film like. Complete contrast to like the comics yeah. and and the Christopher Reeve film, where in terms of like its colorfulness, its playfulness, gets rid of all of that in the aesthetic of it's, the Dark Knight. It's drab. It's it's hyper stylized yeah. in the sense of, in a realistic manner, like it, yeah. quote unquote realistic. But it's Zack Snyder. Zack yeah. Snyder. If you you know Watchmen, Three Hundred, those are the two movies you did before being picked for the director's chair on Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it shows. It shows that that's this. You know, this Snyder verse was coined after yeah. Man of Steel, and it's it's not realism. It fundamentally isn't. It's like gritty and grounded in all the ways that don't work, mm-hmm. right? I think what what draws people to the grittiness mm-hmm. of the Nolan movies and of more successful reboots or remakes is the emotional, the psychological groundedness. Yeah. We're just like, if we can allow these characters to be human beings Mm -hmm. and more than just people like, you know, uh, uh, sort of archetypes in shiny suits Mm -hmm. that the movie elevates. Yeah. Right. Because then you have, you know, it's the same thing that what drew hundreds of millions of people to Game of Thrones. Yeah. Where you have, oh, this is the Lord of the Rings. Everything that I love from the Lord of the Rings, but all of these people. Complexities, all of these complexities, it, right? all of these emotional and psychological groundedness, mm-hmm. this, this this sort of reality where all of a sudden, you know, the all the subtleties and the vagaries of the, of what makes you know our lives awful and tragic, but also wonderful and you know uplifting, they're all encapsulated in these sort of deeply you know, uh, sophisticated and flawed characters. Mm-hmm. And that's what draws people to this, like to this trend, mm-hmm. right? Fundamentally, that's what brings, that's what puts people like when you, when you, when you look, when you just do the math and you're going, there are people who are watching Game of Thrones who'd never watch fantasy yeah, ever. Yeah. And they're not drawn to Game of Thrones for the fantasy elements. Yeah. And the same way that the people who watched Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and, you know, we're conspicuously not talking about The Dark Knight Rises, which I think is okay. Yeah. Um, that they're drawn to those movies not because, you know, for some people it wasn't because this was the new Batman movie, but it was all of a sudden this is a movie with characters that I can relate to and identify with and these deeply personal stories that makes are relevant to who I am as a mm. person. 
Yeah, because they're true, like to the characters, yeah. like emotional state and stuff That's right. like that. It's like a, it's like a human being. So You're like, I it's get something it. you can relate to That's beyond right. just like, oh, I have to stop the giant death ray. That's right. Which can be inter- uh, interesting on its own or, accord, right? And or have the, its own the trend in yeah. Man of Steel, and from then on, yeah. a giant sky laser. Like, yeah, the giant sky laser has been in almost every superhero flick, like intermittently for the last ten years. Yeah, you know, like Suicide Squad. Uh, Batman versus Superman. It's even in Star Trek. It's even in Star Trek. Yeah. Like a giant sky laser. Yeah. You know, like I'm so tired of people having to fight giant sky lasers. Like yeah. it's the most deeply unsatisfying uh, story trope. Like yeah. story mechanic. Yeah. Also meant by like giant laser thing. Yeah. But yeah. No, no, no. You're hundred. No, no, no. But same you're right. Thing. You're right. It's the same you know, thing. It's the same. It's like the old like Bond plots that you have yeah. from this. 70s where it's like i'm gonna do this giant laser and kill everyone (laughs) no and you watch the man of steel and you look at the huge physical transformation that as an actor henry cavill had to put himself through Mm -hmm. where he's basically now he is larger than life like he is straight out of a comic book in terms of how he's built Mm -hmm. of how he's built himself up Mm -hmm. and you're going there is no way on earth that you are anything but superman ever this whole clark Kent identity not working at all yeah, because it's not. He's just like he's him. not charismatic. Just him, right? He's just like big and handsome to some. He's a good looking man. He's but a I good mean, looking yeah. guy. Yeah, but he's like big. And but in handsome. the character of Clark Kent, he's not Clark no, Kent at all. No, even Superman, he's not Superman. Well, yeah, yeah. He's but just, I mean, like because we were talking about the the two sides of Christopher Reeve doing Ooh. Clark Kent and Superman, right? The distinction is there. Yeah, you no. can see it. Whereas here is like, yeah, I'm a guy. No, <laughs> that's I'm, it. I'm, I'm a, a guy. I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm I, g- I am indestructible. I'm yeah, a guy. I'm a god. I'm not going to save anyone in yeah. this movie. And I'm gonna. The movie's going to end with me murdering someone. There's that uh, how we beat Zod, but then there. I just remember watching because I remember before people talking about like the end when they're fighting and all the destruction. I had because I had I hadn't seen it in theaters. I saw it like on Netflix or, yep. or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did read like all the commentary, everyone talking about it, kind of thing, and I was like, okay, whatever, you know. Like I understand there's collateral damage. Marvel Comics did a whole thing about that with like Civil War. Yeah. So it's not something that was completely unfamiliar to me. But then when I watched it, I was like, oh shit! Like, like there's a lot of destruction oh, in this he, like city. Like he lays waste to a city. Like a whole block like falls like pretty much. Oh yeah. The planet's trying to be t- being terraformed or whatever. That's right. right? But like. There's a lot of distraction, like a lot, excessive amount of distraction. Like, and that's the word. Like it's like gratuitous. Yeah. It's like disaster porn. Yeah, is what that movie sort of uh, uh, gets reduced to. Yeah. So we have this wider trend, like like we were just talking about the aesthetics and all that yeah. stuff. And it doesn't just apply to Superman; it applies to like other properties and mm-hmm. stuff. So what I don't like, I I don't like the idea of like things needing to be super realistic or things needing to be like this could happen in the real world. Yeah. Just based on that motivation alone, yeah, or, right, or based on oh, this this makes money, this is yeah. or or in the case of DC, a lot of what was motivating Warner Brothers and the DC sort of like film department or studios mm-hmm. was the sense of how do we how do we make movies like Marvel that isn't Marvel? Yeah, and you're, you're going, boy, oh boy, did you miss the boat on that one? Like yeah. Marvel spent decades trying to find a formula that works. Yeah. You know, that's basically it's, it's anyone can sit down and watch uh, a Marvel movie. I would never. First of all, they'd probably be bored and confused if you sat down like a eight year old to watch Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman yeah. or the Justice League. You'd be like, what is happening? Yeah. Why is any of this happening? Yeah, it's very confusing. And and it's really dark and weird. And like at the end of the Man of Steel, um, 
you know, I can't even call him Superman. Like I'm going to call him Henry Cavill, (laughs) you know, yells and screams and not like snaps of like a countryman, like a, another member, another Kryptonian's neck in front of like witnesses. Yeah. And that's how the movie ends. And not only that, the movie ends with him, with him crashing a like multi-million dollar satellite, like army satellite. Yeah. Because it was tracking him, and he's just like, "I'm sorry, but uh, you can't track me." Oh, and yeah, then the yeah, army's yeah. just like, "You're a super weapon. Of course, we're gonna track you. Yeah. You're a threat to everyone." Yeah. And I was like, "I'm not a threat. I'm from Kansas, and I'm a good guy. Once you get to know me, but I'm gonna behave like an authoritarian." And then you're like, "Oh yeah, that's that's no." And not only that, but then he he just kind of goes, "So you can either uh, not track me, or you know, have to deal with it." And then he just kind of flies off. And then the general guy looks to the only like female character in that movie, like the only female yeah. in that scene, which is like nameless cadet. Yeah. And, she, and he he's just like, "Why are you smiling?" She's like, "Oh, he's so hot." And that's how the that's movie ends. <laughs> and you're like, "This is a Superman movie, bro! My God!" Yeah. And then like poor Amy Adams, who's who is a good actress. She is good. Yeah, I like her. And a lot. you know, you've like her work in other films is really like she, boy oh boy, like her role in Arrival. Like if you want to talk about like like post you know 2010 like strong female characters in genre films, like mm-hmm. her role in, a, in Arrival is so important mm-hmm. because she's like she's an incredible character. You know, it just that movie in and of itself is terrific, but her character in particular was so hard, and she did such a good job. But you see her as Lois Lane, and you can't help but cringe. And she shows up, and she shows up in Batman versus Superman again, and it's the same problem where the whole time you're watching Lois Lane, and like um, the uh, what was her name, Catherine? Who Pers- the mom? No, who played uh, who played Margot? Uh, oh, Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane in the um, Christopher Reeve. Um, oh yeah, Margot Kidder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Margot Kidder, who is like awesome. Like you totally understand why anybody would be attracted to Lois Lane. Yeah. I, not like I don't mean romantically. I just mean in general. Yeah. Because she is brash. She's a little bit like vitriolic, mm-hmm. uh, but she's super smart and charismatic. And like you understand how a woman like that got to where she is in like a male dominated Mm -hmm. newspaper Mm -hmm. firm. And like, she's delightful. Mm -hmm. Every time she's on the screen, she lights up the screen. She's great. You know? And then poor Amy Adams is her character of Lois Lane is reduced to a plot device. Yeah. Where the aliens land and they go, we want Superman and Lois Lane. <laughs> and then everyone's like, why are you taking Lois Lane on your... What? Oh, because the plot says that she has to be on the ship so that Russell, ghost of Russell Crowe can talk to her and she can yeah. save Superman. Oh, and no, don't get me started. Oh, man, I'm getting, I'm getting fired up. Yeah, okay. Don't get me started <laughs> on the blatant, like, Catholic, deeply Christian... Oh, imagery of imagery Superman. Of Superman. Yeah. Not even... Like... The fact that the movie starts and he's a boy. Yeah. He's a child. And yeah. then it cuts. How old is he? 33. Mm. Like the New Testament. Oh, shit. Where he goes from being a baby to a 33-year-old. What happened to that in between? <laughs> yeah. And then all these. So it's like, you're just like, okay, cool. So that's that's not even being subtle. And then all these 
crucifix scenes. All these, like, yeah, Christ-like poses. Yeah, and, and then like when that, he yeah. randomly goes to talk to a priest. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this isn't, like, first of all, first of all, Superman as a character is so importantly and inherently Jewish that to force these kinds of, like, super... His two creators were Jewish, yeah. Yeah, one of them was Canadian. Yep. Very, and you look at the historical context in which that character was created. Yep. And then you look at, oh, this is an immigrant from a destroyed culture mm-hmm. who shows up in America, mm-hmm. like the, the promised land, mm-hmm. and rebuilds his own identity. Mm-hmm. And instead of wearing a Star of David, he wears an S, a symbol of his people mm-hmm. on his chest, yeah. you know, and makes a success out of himself. Like, and all the names, you know, like, which was introduced later, but, you know, names like Cal El mm-hmm. and Jorel, those are take, those are like Hebrew angel names, like Gabriel and Samael. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, so that, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of subtlety there, but to force all these sort of like very Christian New Testament Images stuff on, on top yeah. of it. And you're going like, why, why are you, why are you emphasizing that instead of the, what's already there and what's what true know. to the character yeah. right it's like they're putting all this other stuff like on uh, top of it again this is all to me anyways is in the service of like this like realism like to a, like uh appeal yeah to the masses that kind of okay. like come out of like the dark knight to kind of like put all this stuff on there but like none of the backing stuff is there though no. right it's purely aesthetic which is why it doesn't work because you don't have like the emotional weight yep. you don't have the, what's true to the character like yeah. you can have new interpretations of a character but they still have to like have that fundamental drive of who the character is. And that's what like makes like successful reboots and reinterpretations work because you're still true to the character, even though you may be giving it a new context, Mm. a new uh, aesthetic appeal. Yeah. But as long as it's still true to the character, which still leaves room for interpretation, but it's not just motivated by like, oh, we need to have it done in this style. And because for me, it's more servicing the style. uh, Absolutely. And not like who the character is in that style. It's it's the director or the cinematographer going, I want to get this really great shot Mm -hmm. where he's in a crucifix position on the, on, and the silhouette in the background is planet Earth, his kingdom. Yeah. And then, so instead of, instead of like, oh, I really want to get this cool shot and these cool imagery, tell me a story with a good character. Yeah. And then the other stuff will come. You can have your cool shots. Yeah. But like instead the story, so the shallow. Weight, the structure, like all that stuff has to be there for it yeah. to work, right? So we're, so we have this like mindset now. So now we've been talking about, um, you know, superheroes, obviously more Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about some things about like Marvel because yep. obviously their films since Iron Man have had like huge mm-hmm. influence. Not so because in those those interpret those are reinterpretations of those characters. Like especially characters oh, like Iron Man. Like before the film came out, no Oh one, even Thor. Uh, no, yeah, even Thor, no for yeah. sure. But I'm just starting with Iron Man because that's like aside from X Men and Spider Man, like that's like the next wave yep. of like Marvel film. Because obviously the big characters Phase of Marvel one are X-Men and Spider-Man. Well, all the ones that they managed to sell first. Exactly. Right? So that was Fantastic Hulk. Four, Hulk, X-Men, Spider-Man. Like, those are the big big. Those guys. were the valuables, yeah. Uh, I would say Spider-Man is their biggest one. 100%. You know. So that's already taken care of. So then you have Iron Man. No one knows who Iron Man is. No, he was a like C-tier. when it came out in yeah, like two thousand eight. Yeah, like I had known of Iron Man. One of my of course. good friends, like in elementary school, like loved Iron Man. Yeah, you you watched the old cartoons. Oh yeah, he or, showed up. Yeah, like, yeah. or you like, read the comics, and you're like, oh, this is cool. He's like small, small character. Yeah, like, you don't really know Iron. Man. So then the movie comes out about you, like, this is so that's a reinterpretation like of the character. Oh yeah, done in a realistic. "Quote unquote realistic, like in terms of stylized, not 
to the point of like Dark Knight where it's like dark and gritty. Mm-hmm. But it does have some of the fantastical elements because obviously in the first film he gets captured. I think the fact like, that he's like an arms dealer mm-hmm. touring in like the Middle East, yeah. right? That's an element of realism, right? Yeah. Because obviously that's the conflict that's still going on now today. Yeah. So it's said in that he gets captured. And then you get the more fantastical elements where he's supposed to be building a bomb, but then yeah. he builds like an Iron Man suit. suit that's in the right. Game where like no one knew what he was yeah. doing. Like, yeah. But that's fine. That makes it work though, because like it's true to like who Tony Stark is as a character, as this like genius that can John, like, make John, these things. John right? Favreau and the the writers on that project totally understood. The, Robert what, Downey Jr. understood that yeah. character. Well, because I'm just talking about like you know the well, writing, for example, well, and for sure. how much that movie understood the core of what makes Tony Stark work and what makes Iron Man work. And they found, again, really sophisticated and elegant solutions to sort of have that, to show that in the script or to tell that in the mm-hmm. script in the sense, like one of my favorite parts in that whole film in terms of what, you know, informing us on the character was, you know, you have uh, the scene between uh, Jeff Bridges's character, Obadiah Stane or yeah. something like that. And uh, the science guy this engineer that works for stark industries and fun fact his first name is peter i can never remember his last name but that character who's like who's trying to develop basically obadiah stain was just like make me a miniature arc reactor like mm-hmm. tony has and well that character that actor is one of the producers on the film Oof. and also played ralphie in a christmas story oh really yeah peter something um and anyway, i'm kicking myself right now but uh and so he has this great line where the guy goes yeah but like this technology doesn't exist yeah and jeff bridges is just like you're looking at the technology like it's right there like just make that but smaller and he's like i can't it's not possible and then jeff bridges goes but stark made it in a cave yeah. with a bunch of scraps yeah and he goes i'm sorry i'm not tony stark yeah that's the character yeah. like to me like that's such a, a really efficient way of saying hey you want to know what makes this character a badass that's that that line that yeah. scene yeah. it's his resourcefulness his intelligence his genius mm-hmm. like that's tony stark yeah that's his power yeah. you know and it's such a great scene in terms of giving you all this sort of all this all this all this all the all the all of a sudden thank yes. you uh you get this you get this sense of the full scope yeah of the character yeah. and that was done really well yeah so as we said, Iron Man, hugely influential film. Yeah. Dark Knight, hugely influential film. Uh, the aesthetic, in terms of the aesthetic wars, I'd say like Dark Knight, far-reaching. Yeah. In terms of like uh, we mentioned, so, uh, so we've been talking about. It was like, also Sean IMAX. Parts of the Dark Knight was Sean yeah, IMAX. Sean IMAX yeah. yeah. I mean, I love the look of like the Dark Knight. Like it's good. Like it works yeah. for the Dark Knight, but transposing it to other properties doesn't necessarily translate. Like we no. mentioned because we talk about Man of Steel, but and we have other things that have come out recently, reboots and stuff like that, where it's done in this style because the Dark Knight was successful. So people are like, "Oh, that made money. Let's uh, let's do it on this thing here, mm-hmm. right?" So we've had things like we were talking about before, like Teen Wolf. Or even, I just thought of that, Snow White and the Huntsman. Snow White, yeah. That was another one. Remember that with uh, Kristen Stewart? Yeah. And like, that was like, oh, a gritty reboot of Snow White. Then we have like King Arthur too. Yeah, that came out later with uh, Guy Ritchie. Yeah, Yeah. same idea though. You know, where it's like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily the the Guy Ritchie ones. (laughs) (laughs) Right, where we're doing these things where it's like, 
it doesn't need to be like no. in this in this manner because it doesn't work. Part of the charm, especially if you're redoing something, is like it is silliness and it's goofiness. Yes, you still have to embrace it. You can still again do it more grounded uh, in terms of like the character yes. interactions and the emotional truth or emotional weight of the character, yeah. not solely in service of the aesthetics. Because no, which that, is what Marvel cracked. I yeah. think Marvel cracked that better than than in terms of the AAA big blockbuster type yeah. franchises. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, no, you can't make a Man of Steel or a Dark Knight version of Ant-Man. You can't. It doesn't work. It wouldn't work. I mean, you could you, do it, but... If you try, you're then you're gonna, an idiot. But if you do, make, if you cast an right. actor like Paul Rudd and you say, like, you're, you're a super right. likable, charismatic, intelligent person and you have real wants and needs and, like, a really cute relationship with your daughter... But you also are forced into the situation where you have to... You shrink down yeah. and talk to ants. ants. Yeah. <laughs> and it just works. Yeah. Right? And there's this... Impo- like, no no way if... Even after the success of X-Men and Spider-Man, if you went back to the early 2000s, you go, yo, guys, we're going to make a like an Ant-Man movie, and there's going to be a sequel to that movie. Everyone would be like, I don't think so, bro. No, that's not happening. No one's going to see Ant-Man. Uh-huh. But somehow, when you know Disney and Marvel combined managed to make that happen or like a coherent doctor strange movie yeah. what like those like the i love doctor strange in the comics yeah. i collected doctor strange for yeah. a long time doctor strange in the comics is such a hard hard character to adapt yeah because he's such a product of basically a whole generation of people taking acid you yeah. know like yeah. <laughs> like it's some of eastern philosophies and all that stuff um that the fact that we got a coherent sort of Doctor Strange movie that yeah. was, you know, somewhat true to the character is a miracle. Uh, to me, I don't that I don't take that for granted. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. One of the reasons why like I don't like this need for hyper realism and this realism, part of it comes from what we were talking about last time. I had watched this video that kind of talked about like authorial intent yeah. and like that kind of comes from creators wanting to like control how their works are interpreted but part of it comes from the fandom who asks stupid questions about like why doesn't this work like it would be in the real in real life or whatever so part of it was like from jk rowling i don't know if you've seen her like on twitter oh where she basically has like on twitter like added like things to the harry potter universe oh yes of course right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah yeah but part of what comes from that is like access to like the creator and yes. stuff like that, right? And fans wanting because a lot of people want like realism. They want everything in the universe of that character or that world to make sense to, and fit to a certain extent, right? Because I think a lot of movies that try to that try to be, I'm I'm struggling to find an example, but there are examples out there of like movies that were way too stuck on harping on details that were just total disasters. And I think there is a, there is a sort of suspension of disbelief that all of these movies have because well, they have to yeah. all of the Marvel movies like yeah like they they do they try to make a coherent cogent sort of movie where you can see the the causal link between things oh of course that but has to be there people accept a lot of plot holes and they do accept a lot but of... there's the nitty gritty where it's like oh, oh this tiny like there's so much of that or yeah, like that's what pisses me off where it's just like <laughs> just forget about it like it doesn't matter like no, it doesn't. if like because you know there's like a thing like in, in in movies where it's like the characters will be talking but the scenery around them will change right yeah. it's kind of like a montage yeah right so it's like we're having a conversation we're in our we're recording now and then you know we're still continuing that conversation but we're at like downtown Montreal walking, right? right? Yeah. And then it's nighttime and then we're here and then we're there, right? But we still had the one. It's, it's a visual thing for the audience just to 
indicate the passage of time. It's filmmaking. Right? Like, that's an aesthetic choice. It's all artificial. It's all, art- of course. It's all artificial. But, like, so someone's going to go and say, like, well, how are they, like, having that conversation? Like, you yeah. know, and they want that, like, nitty-gritty detail to say, like, <laughs> and you can play with it, too. Like, sometimes you can do a thing where it's, like, you know, it was good in um, in Endgame when... If you haven't watched Endgame, it's your fault. I don't believe in spoilers. Yeah. That's a topic for another day. But when they go back in time and and you, you see like Peter Quill like dancing, right? Yeah. But without the music. Yeah. Right? Because like it, for us, when we're watching Guardians of the Galaxy, we have the, the music is for the audience. Obviously, yes, he's listening to it, right? No, but there's like a diegetic yeah. sound source. Exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. works and it makes funny. But now when we see it in the context of Endgame from like the side, yeah. pretty much, he's just dancing like an idiot. Yeah. It, in that sense, it works. Like, yeah. That could be funny. But if we're going to sit there and be like. Because well, it, it has a purpose. Yeah, it does more, have a purpose. More than just being yeah. like, <laughs> I thought about this. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is a scene where we can get good character Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a good character piece yes. from that because it, it allows Nebula the characters and Nebula yeah. and like all the other people to go like wait this is the guy or like you know yeah yeah no it does have serves more than one purpose yes yep. that is true that is a good to point out though actually but like it's not important to the plot though no right if no. we had watched just Guardians of the Galaxy the first one. And then we're like, well, we, you know, thought about like, <laughs> well, wh- what would it be like yeah. for someone else? Why? Like, it doesn't matter. That's no, it doesn't. Point, You're right. right. 100%. That's what I don't like when people get hung up on. And that's what like J.K. Rowling as an example gets hung up on, right? And answering like, because someone asked her like, why do they have bathrooms <sighs> in Harry Potter if they don't like use bathrooms? They don't like human technology. It's like. The point of Harry Potter, like oh, what I mentioned man. before, the point of Harry Potter is not centered around why they have fucking bathrooms and indoor plumbing and no. all that stuff, right? No. Like, it's just so that we as the audience can understand the world. They're in yeah. the bathroom. Yeah. Do we have to invent a new thing for wizards to... No, yeah. please, it doesn't matter. The point of Harry Potter was never like the plumbing of no. Hogwarts. <laughs> no. Right? Wizards need to shit. Yeah. So, like, that's what people get hung up on. That's what I don't like. So, that's why I don't like when we have, like, these new interpretations of works that are, like, funny or fantastical or silly and comical. And we got to go... No, we got to get rid of all that. We have to serve only this yeah. specific, realistic, quote-unquote realistic yeah, we have thing. to. Yeah, we have to abide by the trend. Right? Yeah. All right. So, I think I think we'll end it there. It's been it's been a good yeah, it's conversation. Been a, it's a chunky one. It's yeah. a chunky one. Yeah. Well, good good for your listenings though. Thank I think. you very much for having me on. That was fun. Yeah, that was good. That was good. It was a good time. Uh, we'll see you in the future. If I hope you so. want to come on yeah. and we'll talk about other stuff. Yeah. You know, whatever whatever pops in your head. All good. Yeah. But uh yeah, so thank you though for listening to this edition of Aim for the Bushes. I've been your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as J-Pav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. With me, as always, is Maggie the Mags. I like to call it. She doesn't actually go by that, but that's me for you. And then Christian, my good friend, who has stopped by to offer his insights and opinions on things. And just a reminder, speaking of opinions, that anything that we've discussed here or interpretations, even though we weren't talking about anything super serious today, but... There are opinions, and if you disagree with them, maybe you like the ultra-realism, and that's the only thing that you care about. Fine, go for it. I don't care. I disagree with it, but that's, that's on you. If you if you just want to service a certain aesthetic, because the thing that also pisses me off, small minor tangent, is that the realism is also an aesthetic, too. It's also 100%. a choice. So it's not really realistic. Nope. If, you want, if you want realism, go look out in the real world. There's plenty of realism, plenty of good things, plenty of horrible things in the real world. Cool. Yeah. Go find it there. Yeah. Right, movies are fantastical. 
They're uh, artificial. Yeah, they're artificial, whatever, TV show, books, yeah. magazines, whatever. It's all a choice. That's right. So it's trying art. to keep it realistic is fine, quote unquote. You can't see the quotes because you're not actually here with us. But when I say realistic, it's in quotations to say that it's not actually realistic. But anyways, enough of that. So thank you for listening. Thank you. And yes, no, thank you, Christian. And catch us on the next one. I'll see you later. Peace.